Carter. I'm Eloa. And I'm Erin. And if you don't know three black bitches who love true crime, you do now. This is the I Ain't a Killer podcast. Welcome. Hey, y'all. It's another episode of I Am Tequila. Yeah, we're back. Um, so if you didn't catch us on our last episode, we said that Carter wasn't able to join us because they're not feeling great and they're still not feeling well. So we're going to hold it down for another week and you get to listen to Aaron and Eloise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, like we did last week, we're... Um, gonna honor spooky season in October by talking about some different crimes that occurred on the day of Halloween. So this is in lieu of our current crime. I just jumped in there. We didn't have any announcements or anything, did we? No, we didn't. <laughs> like, I just started talking. <laughs> no housekeeping yet, but we will. Yeah, we will. Soon. Okay, so yeah, that's in lieu of our current crime. We're just gonna talk about um, some crimes that happened on October 31st throughout the years. I'm low-key spooked, even though it's daylight. I know. Like, it's the middle of the day, y'all. <laughs> 1.39 p.m. Right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it is creepy oh, in here. Right. A bright, lit room, and we're scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pussy. Me too. <laughs> Very much. Okay, good. We're partners in crime. <laughs> okay, so um, this story's title is A Japanese Exchange Student in 1992 Never Made It to His Halloween Party. So when Yoshihiro Hattori, a Japanese exchange student, went out on Halloween night in 1992, he was heading to a party in New Orleans. Um, He was unfamiliar with the neighborhood, and Hattori struggled to find the address of the event. So when he eventually thought that he found the house, he knocked. When he got no answer, he walked back towards his car. Suddenly, the door of the house opened, and Hattori said, We are here for the party. But the man in the doorway shot Hattori with a revolver. Whoa. Whoa. There's got to be more to the story. That's what I'm saying. That escalated so fast. So it turns out Hattori was at the wrong address, clearly. Oh, no. Um, when police questioned the homeowner, Rodney Pears, he claimed that he had been scared and that he thought this student was trespassing on his property with criminal in- intent. That's racist. Oh, Very, okay. yeah. It happened in Japan or it happened in America? Let me go back and make sure I understand this. Yeah, he was in New Orleans and he yeah. was a Japanese exchange student. That yeah, was racist. racist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Pears, the owner of the house, was charged with manslaughter, but he invoked the castle doctrine, which means that Americans claim they have the right to apply lethal means to protect their homes. So, like, stand your ground? Yeah, it sounds like, like, the New Orleans version of that. But he wasn't, like, breaking in. No, he Did just Did he ring the doorbell? He knocked and was like, we're here for the party. He could have just said, wrong house. Right. Or just not answer the door. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, so that's racist as fuck. He was found not guilty by a jury. <sighs> okay, what year was this? This was 1992. <sighs> that's so sad. Sometimes, um, so Hattori's father told Japan Today in 2012, so a good amount of time after, he said that sometimes I feel like he's still in America. Someday he'll come back home, I say to myself. Oh, that makes me want to cry. Oh, that is so sad. That's like exactly, was it 20? 20 years after his son was killed, he said that. Oh, wow. Damn, that's horrifying. That's terrible, yeah. Reading this stuff and doing this podcast is going to make me scared of everything. For real. If we become agoraphobic, we could just kick it in the house together and and do the podcast. We can just hang out. (laughs) Y'all going to get a new episode every day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because we're too scared to leave the house. Right. Oh, my God. I literally... So, I used to go on runs at night, and I literally haven't been on a run at night since the since the person was killing yeah. people in Atlanta. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to be doing it before that. Please don't come for me. But like <laughs> people are gonna be like, what the like, what the fuck were you doing out at night anyway? See, that's what your problem is. <laughs> but yeah, no. Yeah. Now after that I was scared of a lot of things. Wow. Okay, so let's do this next one. So it's titled Peter Fabiona died in what police said was a crime of passion in the late fifties. So when Peter and Betty Fabiona went to sleep Halloween night in 1957, they thought that they were finished with trick or or treaters. 
But in the middle of the night, the doorbell of their Los Angeles home rang. <clears throat> Peter got out of bed and brought candy to the door. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I would have just ignored it. Right. But that's nice. On the doorstep was a woman wearing a mask. She raised her hand, which was in a paper bag, and shot him in the chest. He died instantly. Oh. Not, I'm afraid to go trick-or-treating. Right. Oh, Random the no. shit, No. So according to the Los Angeles Times, police eventually arrested a woman named Joan Rabble, who reportedly had a sexual relationship with Peter's wife, Betty. It's believed Rabble talked another woman, Goldine Pizer, into murdering Peter. I could be saying her name wrong, but Rabble was convicted of second degree murder along with Pizer and was sentenced to five years to life in prison. And both women were later released. Betty was never tried for any connection in her husband's death. Wow. Uh, that's what we might need to do for That's what I'm saying, bitch. That what? Is cra- oh, that is wild. I don't want to say crazy. Whoa. Gay crime. Gay <laughs> murder. So I guess like the last sentence kind of makes me feel like maybe the wife had something like asked. Most definitely. Yeah. She was like, oh, he's, uh, I can't leave him. I'm just... You know, we and then figure out to, a way to get rid of them. Oh my goodness! So or maybe like them. she wanted, or if she didn't have anything to do with it, the other person was like, okay, she's not ever gonna be with me if he's still in the picture. Yeah, because not saying serial killers can't be nice, or like people who are abusive can't be nice, but like him getting out of bed and bringing candy, it gives me like old sweet man. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, he thinks he's giving candy to children yeah. on Halloween. That's Mr. Nice. Flanders or something <laughs> like that. <Aww. laughs> And then boom. Right. Damn. Okay. Um, Let me see how many more we have. We have a few more. I'll just read the next one. So Johnny Frank Garrett was convicted of strangling a nun to death on All Hallows Eve. Oh, wow. So on October 31st, 1981, Sister Tadea Ben's body was found naked in a convent in Texas. The other nuns in the house noticed a broken window in the community room, so they called the police immediately. Authorities found Benz's clothing and a knife under her bed. Meanwhile, an autopsy revealed the nun was stabbed, strangled, and sexually assaulted. Police arrested a man who lived across the street named Johnny Frank Garrett after a witness saw him running from the convent that evening. He was convicted and sentenced to death in 1992. His last words were reported to be, I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Damn. Why? There has to be something more. Like he, I mean, I'm trying to give it a reason there. There might not be, but like maybe he had a bad experience with nuns or like with religion and something. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. Are you a huge c- Us too. Wait, can we even say c-? Of course. It's empowering these days. C- 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 I'm Ange Ballastone, a.k.a. the drag queen, that girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess. And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch, a gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch while we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy and cunty with us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on The Big Cunty... Oh, wait. I thought we were going to say that together. No. On The Big Cunty Couch. I was actually reading this article um, some years back, and it was saying that, um, you know, the orphanages where, like, people go, like, when when they drop their kids off at, like, a a convent or something Mm -hmm. like that, a lot of those nuns and, like, a good portion of those nuns abuse the kids Mm -hmm. in all types of ways. Like, physically, emotionally, sexually, all that. Yeah. Um, Not saying that, you know, trying to make excuses for him and something like that, but I think that that could be a possibility. Right. Yeah. Um, Because that's a very, like, pointed crime. Yeah, it's very, very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, let's do... Damn, there's a few. (laughs) Should I read the rest of them? There's three more. Should I just... um... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, the next one is Carl Jackson was killed over an egging incident. And I'm realizing that we didn't do any, like, content warnings on this, but oh, yeah. we'll put them in the description. Okay. Because we're reading these for the first time with y'all. <laughs> okay, so 
Throwing eggs on Halloween night is typically a harmless prank, but in 1998, it turned deadly. When 21-year-old Bronx resident Carl Jackson and his girlfriend went to pick up her son from a party, teenagers threw eggs at their car. Jackson got out of the car to yell at the pranksters to stop. In response, one of the teenagers pulled out a gun and shot Jackson through the head. He died instantly. That's a fucking overkill. Come on now. 17-year-old Curtis Sterling was charged with second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon. He was convicted and is serving 20 years. That's such overkill. (laughs) According to the New York Times, he receives a card in the mail every Halloween that reads, I'm glad you're still there. From Jackson's mother. Oh, wow. That's cold. I mean, definitely justified, but she a cold bitch. (laughs) I feel like I might do... That might be me. Yeah. Like, if you kill my child... Over egging, like... You better know that I know that you're there and I'm happy about it. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yikes. That is so scary. What in the world? People? Okay. William Lisk killed his family members on Halloween. Oh, another list? This is Lisk with a K. Oh, okay, never mind. Let's catch that. <laughs> In 2020, 16-year-old Devin Griffin came home on Halloween to play video games after attending church and spending the previous night sleeping out. He noticed the Michigan home was too quiet, and he went to check on his family members. Griffin proceeded to find his stepfather in bed, covered in blood. When police arrived, they found two more bodies, Griffin's mother and brother. Police eventually learned the murderer was Griffin's stepbrother, William Lisk. Lisk beat his oldest, I'm sorry, his older stepbrother, Derek Griffin, with a hammer, shot his father, William Lisk, five times, and then sexually assaulted his and shot his stepmother, Susan Lisk. Um, Lisk pleaded guilty to three counts of aggravated murder to avoid death penalty, but he was found dead in his jail cell in 2015 from a self-inflicted wound. Oh, wow. Fuck. These, like, stories about children killing, like, their parents, mm-hmm. I don't know why it just hits different Yeah, for me. most definitely. Because you know that they were being abused at some point. Right, yeah. Because, yeah. they, I mean, there's a legitimate reason. Yeah. What's the name... What are those those brothers that killed their parents? The, like super famous ones. I know exactly. They're not like Rodrigo Rodriguez brothers or something. It's something Menendez Menendez brothers. brothers. Yeah. yeah, and then remember it came out that or they were saying that their father had sexually abused them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Aside from the kids who like kill their parents because they took their Xbox away, which is still like I feel like there's a deeper story behind that as well. Gotta be. Aside from that, I feel like whenever I hear about anybody rebe- like rebelling against their parents or bucking against their parents, I'm like. It's something going yeah, on something that nobody's much. talking about. Yeah. But kids are subjugated and they're not like really seen as people. So everybody's like, oh, they're just being bad. You right, know? exactly. So, yeah. And there's so many things that can happen behind a closed door. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Okay, the last one. A brutal killing on Halloween night in 1981 remains unsolved to this day. I hate unsolved, but here we go. Oh, my God, I hate unsolved. Uh, it's a little short one. Photographer Ronald Sisman and Smith College student Elizabeth Platzman were beaten in their Manhattan apartment on Halloween night in 1981 before being shot dead. Their apartment was completely ransacked, but nothing seemed missing. The case remains unsolved. It was ransacked, but nothing was missing, which means it was very personal. They were looking for something. Yeah. And they didn't find it. They knew them, and they probably knew how to get in. Yeah. If they got up into a Manhattan apartment, because there's so many in New York, you got to get up to it's some steps before you like literally. Right. It's like you got to, I don't know, buzz, get buzzed up or like get up the elevator or something something like that. So I don't know. And then what what year was this? 1981. I was going to say, did they have cameras? It's just too, it's too much. That like, this is like a weird thing for me to say. I don't believe in unsolved. <laughs> I mean, I believe it's a thing, but it's very hard for me to understand it, especially nowadays. Yeah. Like you didn't leave one tiny hair mm-hmm. or like DNA is so microscopic. Like you didn't, you didn't leave the tiniest bit of like spit on the ground. Like mm-hmm. I just can't have the hardest time believing that you are unable to find somebody. I agree. If you want to. I think a lot of it is just due to like one misconduct and negligence. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's this um there's this documentary is so good 
um, on Netflix. It's probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Mm. And um, it's called The Keepers. Oh, and there's I don't this, think I've seen that. Oh, it's so good. You got to watch it. So it's this nun who was murdered um, and they never, like, quote unquote, figured out who did it and mm-hmm. all this stuff like that. And so, um, like, literally, maybe 45 years later, 50 years later, their students were talking about her and she was so sweet. She was just an amazing person who always tried to help people and stuff. So her students were like, okay, we're going to figure out, like, well, let's figure out what happened to her. Well, let's just like, at least start to ask around. When I tell you, like, they were like you and Carter. They were like so precise, like <laughs> ruthlessly precise, uh-huh. organized and just like know what questions to ask. One of them, she was really extroverted. So she was the one who went out and asked questions and mm-hmm. drove all around town and stuff. And then the other one was the one who took notes, kept the spreadsheets, da, 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 da. When I tell you they like basically solved it, like oh, so shit. the end of it, they don't really, I mean, because this is 50 years later. So a lot of the people who were involved yeah. are like dead and stuff like that. But like when they put all the pieces together, you pretty much know who did it. And it's yeah. amazing. And and a lot. I said that to say, like, if the, if the police had done what they were supposed to do instead of covering stuff mm-hmm. up, instead of just like pushing stuff to the side when the case is about a woman or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that, they would have solved it. Right. Most yeah, definitely. 100%. So, yeah. In cases like that, I'm like, yeah, most definitely. I don't believe in unsolved either. Yeah. Well, not for the most part. Right. I mean, there's some cases, and this was in 1981, so maybe, you know, DNA wasn't where it needed to be or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah. I feel like if, if like you said, if there isn't any negligence, if people actually, like, cared about the victims, mm-hmm. a lot of these, quote unquote, unsolved cases would have been solved. Right. Because, listen, DeKalb County... <laughs> DeKalb County is number two in the country for solving murder. Really? They don't fuck around at all. I didn't all. know that. Yeah, I didn't okay. know either until I seen this shit on First 48. I was like, look, <laughs> if you're going to commit a crime, you gotta better go to the west side. Right. <laughs> don't come over here. Well, I'm not in DeKalb. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not in there either. Not like I'm committing crime, but that's spooky right. to me. Like, y'all are... Y'all are on it, but damn. damn. So somebody got to be doing something wrong in the rest of these counties. Y'all need to train everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah. Okay. Well, that was our, I guess, um, Halloween version of Crying and Crime. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All those Halloween murders. So we'll be back with the main story. Yay. Oh, right. So this story is actually uh, kind of special because this is the first story that we're doing that comes from a suggestion that a listener sent us. Yes. I'm sorry. Do you have their name by any chance? I don't. I wish I could. Okay. Let me see. I can pull it up because I think I messaged them that I, we would like shout them out. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. And in the meantime, I'll go ahead and just do the trigger warning. So okay. these are extremely religious views, like the most extreme and um mass murder Mm, so this is definitely yeah if you don't want to deal with that please skip and we will most definitely be back next week (laughs) okay hold on Mm -mm. here we go okay it's phaedra and their instagram handle is phay221 okay so follow them lift them up i know they also said that they're the reason they suggested it is because they're portraying this person in a play, <gasps> which is dope. That is so wild. Yeah, and they sent me the Instagram. So the Instagram for the theater that they're portraying the the um, person in the play is Audacious Theater. Audacious Theater? Okay, yeah, so follow them as well. Yeah, thanks, Phaedra. That doesn't sound like it's... That's not in Atlanta, is it? I don't think so. That's because yeah. I was like, oh, I want to see if I can go. But yeah. I think... Let me see, because I want to say it says it in the actual... Mm-hmm. I was going to say, if that's in Atlanta, I'm going. That right. would be so cool. Uh, Denver. Denver, okay. Yeah. Cool. Never mind. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for the suggestion, Phaedra, and I hope I do it justice. Yeah. All right. And another warning. So I, um, I'm i going to try and pronounce these names as best I can. Uh, as the, the story is centered in Uganda, um, so my R's are definitely going to be very American. I'm not going to roll them like I know I should. If I was, you know, speaking to somebody from Uganda or saying their name to someone else from Uganda, I would definitely try to roll my R's. But in this case, uh, I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, so this is about Credonia Mwerende and uh, the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments. So this was a cult that got busted up in, U- in Uganda. Cults are like, I'm trying to think of the word because I don't want to say favorite. They interest me the most out of all true crime type yeah, of thing. Same. Type of stuff. 
yeah. And also for me, I feel like it's just, it's fascinating because it's like, those are the edges of the, the human psyche that we never talk about right. in society. We never talk about why people follow leaders to believe these outrageous things, mm-hmm. you know? And then also like just tying it into like, you know, religion and how it was spread, you know, across the world. Mm-hmm. Super mm-hmm. interesting. So everything that uh, that sources um, know about Morende comes from her childhood friend. Her childhood friend is named Nolongo Rukanyagira. She's a childhood friend, and she was born in, well, Morende, the actual uh, main person that we're talking about. Morende was born in Kanungu, uh, Kanungu uh, Uganda, at uh, Katite. And uh, Nyabu Goto, who was her uh, friend, uh, the very place where the cult camp was busted. So she was born there and she ended up, you know, having the cult uh, be centered in the area as well. Um, They're almost the same age. So at the time, they were like students together in the area. And she said that when during her teenage years, she used to like to go out dancing a lot. She was very extroverted. She was just very out there. She was extremely beautiful mm-hmm. and very charismatic. So she, it was very easy for people to like follow yeah. her, which is like off that. Yeah. Like, like, and the fact that she's a woman too, like that also makes it, cause I usually hear about this type of behavior from men. From so men, like, right. Oh my God. Like what happened? Like, what did she do? Yeah. Like, you know, so how she would do this, but yeah. Um, so she was a sex worker in the area as well. Okay. And she sold banana beer. Hmm. Um, so that also gave her like, well, you'll see later that also kind of like added to her appeal because it's kind of like the, the reformed Mary Magdalene kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. with her, like used to be a sex worker. Mm-hmm. So she had been married five times to different men and she was tied to a man in the area named Rubali. He was a health inspector. And um, he was he was listed as her husband, but exactly like what order it is in, I can't find that out. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, he was listed as her uh, as her husband. So while they lived together, Rubali had fallen in love with Cardonia's sister. Oh. Her name was Perpetua Barigue Barigue. Mm-hmm. Um, when Cardonia learned uh, that he was in love with her. He burned, she burned all of his property in the house. Like she set all his shit on fire in the house I and, mean, then, and then divorced him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> like my sister, like out of all people. But you know what? It. I don't know. Like that, that's such a cliche. Like how did, what time were they spending together? It how is did a cliche. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's strange. And I guess I'm like only basing it off of like my relationships. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the only time that my sisters really spend with anybody I'm involved with is when I'm there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that's what I'm imagining. So I'm wondering, well, maybe in their culture, like it's like a little bit, you know, everybody's a little bit closer. Yeah. In America, we don't fuck with nobody. That's you know? true. It's, it's very probably more of like a community based and they, yeah. yeah. So they probably be around a little bit more. She said, fuck that. We're burning all the things. I'm like, hey. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta do what you got to. <laughs> she immediately got married. She immediately got married to another man. His name was Eric Mazima, and he's listed as her last husband. Okay. So she had married a total of five times, and he was the last one. Okay. Um, it also says that while in her early twenties, she torched um, other someone someone else's house. Household oh, home. so she's into yeah. fire. Yeah, so she's into fire. Like, fire is her main weapon. Yeah. Fire and poison, it seems. Oh, Lord. And that we'll find a little bit more So she didn't get in... Tr- I'm assuming she didn't get in trouble for the burning the other husband's stuff. Well, I think this is connected. So if if it is, if it is connected, I think that might be the same thing because it says that the person whose stuff that she burned is a local health official. But oh, it didn't... Oh, I see. It didn't list Rubale as the person. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if this is him and then right after this, they had her away to a mental facility okay i see and um it says that when she came back she was mentally disturbed mm. so i'm thinking that like something happened to her yeah. while she was in the facility it's, like she was you know, taken advantage of or mm-hmm, whatever probably wow and it probably like added to her already charismatic behavior mm-hmm. and so like something ticked and like you know something uh changed in her or whatever right um so just a little bit of background of uganda at the time um the Ruler at the time was Idi Amin. Um, he has like this whole 
a story on himself. He could literally be an episode by himself. Oh, maybe he will be. <laughs> but um, human rights observers and, you know, like Interpol, um, they all re- reported that his death toll was between 100,000 and 500,000 people. He was a dictator in Uganda from the early, I think, 1971 to 1978 or wow. something. So this was this happened around the time when she was, you know, uh, her, I guess like her early crimes had started. Yeah. Which I feel like, I don't know, just spectating. I feel like that probably influenced her a lot, too. Just mm-hmm. like being under all that chaos and yeah. in the country and stuff. Right. Most definitely. So she worked her way up into owning a bar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool, actually. Is it weird that I like her? Uh, right now? I mean, I ain't told you nothing bad about okay. it yet. Except for the fact except that she burned all that nigga shit. <laughs> so, okay. So, right it's now. not, yeah. But if you like her after I tell you all this stuff, then I'll be like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't I'll, I'll hold my opinion. <laughs> so, she worked her way up into being able to own a bar. And one day, it was reported that she seduced a motorist who was passing through. Um, so I guess she worked her magic on them. They got to talking or whatever. They spent the night together and she killed him while he slept. Oh, shit. And kept the money. So, yeah, (laughs) it says kept the money. So I'm wondering if he, if this was sex work. Yeah. Like, you know, he had a little cash on him or whatever and she knew she seduced him in that way. And then like they Mm -hmm. ended up hooking up and then boom, she kept the money out to herself. Right. But this is also due, like, this is also from the close friend who was reporting all the stuff to her, like, of when she was younger or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that could uh, be one of the reasons it was like that, too. So, mm-hmm. um, People who knew Morinde said that greed was the driving force in her life. She was never as happy as when she was making money, said her ex-husband, <laughs> uh, who sold his land and evicted his second wife to become a partner in her bar. So, yeah, <laughs> obviously she's very, very charismatic. If you're ma- yeah. like one, somebody, somebody divorced their wife and sold all their property and just so they could invest, just so they can invest in your bar. Right. You know? Okay. So, yeah, she's, so she she's, was, ar- she was already kind of having people that would like do things for her. Yeah. Do things for her. And she's scamming. She's mm-hmm. doing it. She's living it. She's living mm-hmm. Um, But the bar went broke in 1989. Mm. And that was when she converted to Roman Catholicism. Um, she claimed to see the Virgin Mary in a cave just outside Kanungu and enlisted the help of two respected local clerics to help her build her cult. Okay. And again, nobody knows specifically what she told them, but they know that she was very charismatic and she was able to get them to come along like that. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't even like a big deal. It was like, oh, okay, cool. She's described as universally beautiful with soft skin, a flawless complexion, and a dulcet voice. So I'm guessing like a sweet voice. Yeah. Um, She also appeared deeply devout. She fasted regularly, slept without a mattress, never smiled, and blacked out periodically during conversation to receive messages, quote unquote. Slept without a mattress means that you're devout? (laughs) What the hell? Okay, so I'm... I'm guessing that poverty at this time was respect in Catholicism. I think it's like a little bit closer to the whole idea of like being very simple and not being too into riches and stuff mm, like that, which okay. is weird because okay. they, they describe her as a greedy person. Right. But uh, yeah, I feel like it's like that mother Teresa thing, like get, sell all your things. Right. Like, like greed Jesus. is a sin. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I'm like, without a match. I'm like, that sounds dirty, first right. of all. But also, if it's, it's different if you don't have the resources to get a mattress. That's a completely different situation. But she's choosing to not sleep right. without a mattress, and, and you're saying that that's like devout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I guess if that's what you like. <laughs> <laughs> um. So she regularly blacked out during conversations to receive messages from the Virgin Mary. She spent hours praying and writing and um, having been a bar owner who neighbors say at least occasionally sold her body and possessed uh, an added mystique for being a converted sinner. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. So, yeah, that's okay. the, the whole Mar- Mary Magdalene effect. That yeah, I was about. they were into that. Um, okay. So uh, just a background on how she ended up getting involved in this, because she was she already like individually. uh converted to Roman Catholicism. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking a cultural guess here, but like in, in Catholicism, I hear more about saints than I do about God or yeah. than I do about Jesus. 
Yeah. So I'm imagining that like that was also an added effect with her getting the Virgin Mary is like the highest, I guess, saint. Mm -hmm. And so her receiving messages for her added to their appeal. Okay. But um, around 1980, a woman named Bladina Muzigwe claimed a heavenly revelation. She claimed that she had a vision from uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary telling her about the end of the world. And the vision instructed her to form a movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments to prepare its followers for admission into heaven. Mm. Credonia was one of the earliest followers. So her and a bunch of residents, um, I can list all of the people who were involved because there was like almost like eight or nine people who were involved in the early days. But one of the people who um, was particularly involved was Joseph Kibwiteri. And he was a known businessman in the area. He was huge. Like he was a, he was a known Catholic priest. He was big in the Roman Catholic community. Um, you know, the whole like prestige and rank throughout mm-hmm. the church or whatever. And he also had money. So it was also, so it was like, he gave credibility to Credonia. Like once uh, she um, started like to link up with him and I'll talk yeah, a little bit more about okay. that in a second. So people are like, he's already a religious leader. Like she yeah. must be telling the truth. Basically. Yeah. He was also like, he was the one that was like established. Right. So yeah. So he was one of the earliest leaders with her and um, he was a headmaster of a respected private school. Uh, his conversion to Morende's beliefs gave the movement instant respectability Kibu, uh, Terry, um had a fascination with visionaries. So people who like saw Virgin Mary or saw God, mm-hmm. he was like obsessed with them. Um, he had driven with his wife to Rwanda to witness apparitions. And he, it says he devoured books on Our Lady of Fatima and of Lourdes. Um, so I'm guessing those are, if those aren't the same thing, then those are like two different uh, saints. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with Catholicism. Morende told him not only that she had a vision of the Virgin Mary, but that God told her that a name, a man named Joseph Kibuteri was going to help her restore the Ten Commandments. And he was flattered. Specifically. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> like, I would I would be impressed if you told me my name. Like, I don't know. Back, back then, I would have been impressed because we have social media now. Mm-hmm. But if you walked up to me and was like, oh, God told me you were going to meet up. I'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> Right. Like, where you know me from? <laughs> okay. Yeah. But right here, I'm like, uh, you are, she already knew your name. Right. He's one of the followers. Like, get it together. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. Um, he was flattered, struck by his importance in the scheme of salvation. So um, his wife um, had joined the cult and they ended up, um, Mor- Morande ended up uh, living with his family, like moving oh, okay. with his family. Um, and she was a very active member uh, until she defected later, which we'll, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, Kibuteri's family threw the prophetess out of the house, um, believing that she was having an affair with Kibuteri. So she, I think she lived there for maybe like three years. This was like oh, 1989. Yeah. So this happened in 1992. And um, they thought that she was having an affair. So Kibuteri's son threw the, him and the prophetess out. Shit. After um, Miranda allegedly set fire to the wife to the wife's wardrobe and beat her up. <laughs> oh, girl! <laughs> so yeah, no, the bitch was not having it. And then soon after, um, Kibuteri moved into Miranda's compound and then became uh, a leader of the cult. Um, according to Teresa, the family had a Toyota Stout pickup. Um, they had a huge, huge farm with a lot of cows, a lot of goats, two plots of land in the neighboring town, and one with a building. Um, I'm sorry. One with a building where everything was, uh, among other things. And then they had a refrigerator. Back then, it was like a big deal. They had a refrigerator and mm-hmm. a cooker. Um, and they sold all of that. Like, people, Terry, the man, he yeah. literally sold all that shit to go and be a partner in the, the cult. Oh whatever God. so kind of resembling that guy who yeah. kicked out his wife i'm like this bitch is magic like what the right. fuck <laughs> um what does she have that i don't <laughs> let us know because this is more than a milkshake girl. This, is, <laughs> this is some magic shit and i ain't never heard of no shit like this before mm-hmm. i'm shook um she says they sold off all the properties leaving the family with just the house and a few cows. Uh, if her son had not kicked them out, then he he she believed that they would have sold everything. Um, so at first there was a camp at each of the leaders' homes. So basically, like everybody who joined already had their own house, mm-hmm. and they were all at like 
um, they were specifically placed so that like there wouldn't be anybody like passing by and like, you know, like looking at the properties or whatever for the campgrounds. But um, so Morende's brothers owned a huge, huge plot of plot of land in Kanungu Mm -hmm. and slowly and slowly one by one, they ended up dying off. And so then when the last one died, she became the sole owner of the plot of land and she donated it to the cult. And so they all moved into that compound instead of there being individual camps at different houses. Right. Okay. So now they're all together. Yeah. And this is when the wild shit starts. This is when? (laughs) Yeah. I was just saying, (laughs) it it already started. (laughs) She set fire to like 10 people's houses at this point. (laughs) Literally. Um, so the cult was officially called the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. Um, it was popularly known as the Kibuteri cult because he was the one who was already established in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I read somewhere in the several articles where they said like she resented that fact and she made sure that people like knew that she was the main influence or whatever. And she I would like, resent it too. Yeah, I'm the one having the visions, bitch. Right. Like I'm the one who saw the Virgin Mary, not your ass. Thank you. <laughs> um, so um, it says uh, Morende was the most powerful personality in the cult and Kibuteri was used as a trademark because of his historically his historical high profile. Mm-hmm. Um, so leaders warned the cult members. Um, so these are so now I'm going over like the rules of mm-hmm. like the things that they did in uh, like everyday life, because now they've established the camp. There's people who are following them. They tried to get um, land in a neighboring town, but all of the residents was like, fuck no, they're not coming here. They're not doing that shit. They even tried to apply for a plot of land before she donated her land. um, And they were denied every single time. So they had to get together and like come up with some little quick. Mm -hmm. Um, So leaders warned the cult members about the end of the world and the visions. According to their former preacher, Martino Nuwagaba, yeah, Nuwagaba, um, they preached back as far as Easter of 1992 about how on the quote unquote last day, snakes as big as wheels of tractors and big blocks of cement will fall from the heavens onto the centers. They preached on three days of consecutive darkness that will engulf the whole world and how only their camps were supposed to be safe havens, almost like Noah's Ark, basically. Wow, that's like... I've never heard of that. I mean, I know like snakes there. I've seen that in Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, The big blocks of cement. Yeah, no. That's so weird. That is weird. But I think that like they preyed on the fact that like a lot of the people who joined the cults probably didn't know too much about like how to do things or like too much about like certain like skills maybe Mm -hmm. because who's mixing the cement? (laughs) <laughs> like they got construction workers in heaven like yeah we're gonna get this bitch like you know what i mean <laughs> like right it's sad it's really sad that they were like but that people people will know that about people and they'll take advantage of it mm-hmm. so that they can have members that they can manipulate mm-hmm. but of course it doesn't sound ridiculous to people who like believe in this leader that's supposed to be taking care of them and like leading them to glory and things like that yeah um so they promised their followers that when all this happened everybody would perish except for their followers and whatever remained on earth would be theirs alone. And they would then start communicating directly with Jesus. Followers believed in this so much that they considered themselves the most, the most privileged people on earth. They separated their families, um, including children and took them to different camps to keep them from socializing. Mm-hmm. So you could join the cult as a whole family and they'll take you away from your kids. Like the kids oh. will be in like a separate encampment. Yeah. Um, apart from the leaders, other members of the cult were not allowed to talk. They had to use signs. So everybody had to be silent and then you had to use signs to talk. Um, except for the, unless you were in the leadership and it was supposed to resemble like the 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. So the leadership was like 12 people who were able to talk to each other, able to move around freely, da, 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 da. But everybody other than that, you had to abide by, abide by these rules or should be excommunicated or something. So if you were a member, you got completely detached from your non-believer relatives. Mm-hmm. So everybody else who you had left did had, had no contact with you. And obviously this was before like cell phones and stuff like that too. So nobody could call or like try to, you know, like reach out or whatever or tell them what was going on in, in the encampments. Um, all cult camps were terminus. 
the what I told you about the the earlier camps that there was yeah. everybody's house. So the field itself was completely cut off from anybody to be like a passer, like to pass by and see okay. it. So it's really easy. Um, I can show you. Um, we can put a picture up on Instagram. So it's really easy to like be in this field and nobody will know that you were there. Right. Yeah. It's, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, so creepy. If, like, once you see the picture, you can kind of like see it. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. So they were awakened at three o'clock every morning for two hours of prayer. Fuck that. No, no. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm leaving. Two keywords. You you woke me up. <laughs> and at three in the morning? Oh, fuck no. Mm-mm. And then you woke me to pray? <laughs> Excommunication. Like, cut me off. Like, cut me off. Because I can't fucking do it. Uh, they fasted two days a week. And on the other five days, they were fed next to nothing. Oh, no. When the children, desperate for hunger, were punished for catching and eating insects, the kids gave up, basically, because they would, like, beat the kids um, and punish them for searching for insects. Um, When they were infested with scabies, because I'm I'm guessing they were sleeping without mattresses or sleeping outside or something. So when kids were infected with scabies, they didn't complain. Uh, Followers had to... Followers had to follow um, absolute poverty, so they had to give up all their property. They had to sell all their things. And um, chastity and obedience was also a thing as well, even if you were married. So even if they, you were there with your husband or your wife, there's no sex allowed. Wow. Yeah. It was very much brutal. Um, they slept on the floor. They washed with coarse laundry soap and observed strict silence at all times. They were never allowed to speak to their immediate superiors, much less the 12 supreme leaders. Um, she remembers that the, so the, hold on, I'm sorry, I missed something. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a woman, I want to specifically say her name. So Judith Arijo, uh, who was one of the former cult members, had joined when she was 10. And, um, of course, because of her mom. Um, so she, she remembers that the leaders had an omniscient grip on the faithful members, saying that Morinde and Ursula Kamuhangi, um, seemed to be aware of every sin that had been uh, committed in the far-flung outlets of the church. This was the one that kind of creeped me out because for them to, for it to be such a big compound, because it is a huge plot of land, mm-hmm. for them to be aware of what everybody's doing, it's like either they had snitches on the ground or they probably actually did have some power or something like that. Right, yeah. Um, it says when a follower broke the rules, the two women would shed blood, to, like shed tears of blood. Like actual tears of blood. What? Yeah, and I'm trying to. I oh, ca- I no. could not. I literally thought for the longest of like how somebody could do that. Like eye drops. Like yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. Of- I know there's like certain like medical conditions yeah. that make you do that. Um, do you watch Manifest? I have seen it. I've seen a few episodes, but I haven't like seen the show. <laughs> well, I don't want to ruin it if anybody's watching it, but that comes up and there's like actual medical conditions that require that. But it's not like you're crying blood on demand. Yeah. So I have no idea how they would be able to do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It had to be like, I don't know, did they did they put blood on their face or something like that? And they just walk up to people and then like, oh, I knew you saw I hope that. I, and I hope that's what it was. And yeah. It wasn't something else. Because that's so creepy. It's very creepy. Oh, my goodness. Fatigue, hunger, and faith led to blind obedience. Mm-hmm. I believe that living that way would save me, said uh, Katerina, Katerina Nansana, uh, a 72-year-old woman who was expelled from the cult the the October before the the cult was busted. Um, her daughters embarked on a crusade to bring her home. Mm. It says, I had sores on my feet, my arms and legs, but I didn't care. I believed what I was doing was right. Another former cult member, Mary Kasambi, said, Cardonia would say, today we are going to dig for a week. Today we're not going to eat for three days. And we wouldn't, Kasambi said. And she left the cult in 1997. Mm-hmm. After she saw her four young children foraging for grasshoppers to eat, oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and it's just so sad. Like normally, I don't know. I guess when I was younger, or before I had an analysis on like, uh, like the true effects of like colonization and stuff, I was like, why would somebody believe some shit like that or something like that? But mm-hmm. just like when people are really looking for salvation and safety and stability and community and shit like that, that like if you be surprised how far people will take it right and there's always a new cult popping up all, all the, time. the time and there's like i mean if 
because I've <laughs> been super interested in cults, I research them a lot. But there are particular steps that these cult leaders take in order to get people to the, that space. Mm-hmm. So it starts with isolation. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they were isolated. And isolation in itself, especially from your family members, people that you love, people that can kind of like snap you back into reality, mm-hmm. can cause a lot of... Um, what's the word? You can basically believe a lot of different things. Yeah, like brainwashing? Yeah, brainwashing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then, like, the starvation, the um, very strict rules and lifestyle, like, those things pretty much show up in, like, almost all cults Mm -hmm. in different ways. And that's how people are able to be manipulated and believe these extreme things. Right. Oh, my goodness. I'm just like, ah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so it's almost over. <laughs> <laughs> this is stressful. Um, it's so interesting because, I mean, I'm sure you'll get to it, but I've never heard of this. Yeah, me either. And I and I watch a lot of shit about cults. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard of this. Yeah. And I was surprised when, when, they, when they messaged us and, like, told us about it. I was like... Hold on, have I heard of this? No, right. like not even a little bit. But one, it's in Africa, so yeah. shit like that gets underreported. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two, um, we'll talk about that later. But like, people just don't want to put resources into into stuff that happens to Black people. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah. oh, okay, cool, that happened. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, even when you Google her, like when you Google her, it doesn't pop up that she was a cult leader. Really? It says priestess. Wow. And it says like, oh, she started this movement. She's revered in the community. Is this, this, and this, and. Her her church went bust when she tried to purge members by doing this thing. I'm, I'm gonna read about it. Yeah, I'm gonna. Read. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when you Google her, it's like what? I'm like, damn. Did did they tell us the wrong thing? I literally thought they told like she told us the wrong thing when I yeah. first googled it because I'm like, this this person is just a church leader. Like right. it looks like like it wasn't until I found like articles and stuff talking about it that somebody was actually like, nah, like. <laughs> she got issues. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, uh, Cardonia was called the programmer because she was the one who would get quote unquote programs from Virgin Mary. She okay. would do have those blackouts and she would talk to Virgin Mary and Virgin Mary would tell her, you know, what, you know, to do or whatever. So the main goal in, in particular was to prepare everybody for doomsday, which was supposed to be December, well, January 1st, 2000. So okay. this is like a Y two K doom, yeah, like, doomsday kind sounds of thing. Familiar. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like, again, I was really young at this. I was like yeah. nine, and so I remember thinking the world was going to end. Literally. So imagine like, <laughs> like all the computers are going to restart. All of our numbers are not going to be able to comprehend the year two thousand. Struggling and, to stay awake till midnight. Oh my you're god! You're so young. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> Eleven, like twenty. I was out. I just slept through. Right. I was like, the world is in. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, became a doomsday cult. She received uh, from the Virgin Mary. And it says our job was to obey. Uh, nobody asked her questions. Nobody asked, like, where their money was going or anything like that. And that's what Kasambi said. Miranda apparently played off of the fear of the devil to persuade everybody that, like, all this stuff was true. She told them the devil was everywhere. If they didn't obey, if they didn't believe, the devil was going to get you. And mm-hmm. they all believed it. Mm-hmm. which is also a very prominent thing in, in Christianity to this day. Yeah. Like the devil is everywhere. Demons are everywhere. You know, so I, I definitely feel that and think that's an easy thing for somebody to religious to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says doubt may have grown as a result of Kibotere's death. So there's a bunch of different, there's a bunch of different, um, like reasons why they think he died. They, there's no like official cause of death, mm-hmm. but his wife did try to come to see him and they said that he wasn't there, even though he was, I think he did step out like once to go, uh, just like do business or something like that. And they said he looked extremely sickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course. So, yeah. And I think that's coming up in a second as well. Were the leaders also like abiding by these fasting rules and things like that? Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. So that probably, you know, whatever sentence he did have, if he was sick, that probably made it a lot worse. Yeah. Because the main thing you're supposed to eat when you're sick is what just to fucking eat. Yeah. Um. So his estranged wife, Teresa, said that he died of some degenerative disease um, the October before the cult went bust. Um, although Miranda ran things, she had transformed uh, Kibotere into a kind of like Christ figure. 
Uh, he wore a Catholic bishop's robe. He wore the ring. And he was the only one that he, he could, like, ordain new priests or whatever mm-hmm. into the whole thing. Okay. So his death also had, like, a spiritual kind of, like, air behind it. So now it's January 1st, 2000. And the cult is in crisis because, obviously, the world didn't end. <laughs> I'm like, why? And then I realized it's <laughs> January yeah. They're waiting on everybody to die. They're waiting for the ark to be the only safe place for anybody to be. And it did not happen. They're looking so, around just like we were. So they're like, where my money at? Where my <laughs> oh, money at? Where my damn. motherfucking property? Because bitch, you lied. Right. Like, yeah. that's a big thing. And there's people who are like defecting right at this yeah. point. So there's people defecting. Then there's also, um, there's also problems within the leadership. Mm-hmm. Because by this time, I think like a few of the apostles had defected mm-hmm. or whatever. So now everybody's starting to like kind of question her a little bit. Which, I mean, we see did not go well for other people who questioned her or right. like thought that something was, or something was wrong with her or whatever. Um, so when the world didn't end on January 1st, 2000, a crisis occurred in the movement. Members began to ask questions and demand the return of their money and property. According to Stephen um, Mutaremwa of the 12 Disciples, um, four of the members had gone back to uh, defect and they said that they were just like looking for relatives or whatever and then they would just leave um if somebody came to look for anybody um after this time then they would just be like oh that person's not here or whatever to Mm -hmm. try and like keep people inside of the compound yeah um so on march 17th 2000 um 500 members were gathered into like the main i guess like church building and Mm -hmm. everything was like nailed shut there's a there's an article that said that this was a metaphor for Noah's Ark, basically saying that like this is this is the final stand, like everything outside of this is gonna disappear and mm-hmm. things like that. And they genuinely believed it because there were still a lot of people who actually believed um that she was removing them from sin and removing them from evil, the devil was everywhere mm-hmm. and she was gonna protect them from that by nailing them inside of the church. Right. But the church was set on fire. Girl, five hundred. I think it was it was so, somewhere between five hundred and five hundred and thirty members were inside of that building. Holy and shit! And this was like this is a huge like plot. So inside, yeah, they were able to fit a lot of fucking people in there. Wow! Um, wow! On fire! On fire! Yeah, she's predictable. So on that day, uh, one of the neighbors, Anna Cabero, um, she. So she still lives on that hillside to this day. And she remembers that day like like it was oh, yesterday. She wow. said, everything was covered in smoke. They smelled the they smelled the burnt flesh first. And she mm-hmm. said, it's just like, it doesn't even get in your nose. It just goes straight to your lungs. <gasps> like, it's just, it's just like this, it's like sweet stench yeah. of burnt flesh. Um, so a lot of the neighbors, a lot of people in the neighboring like village start to run out and all they see is smoke and everything's on fire or whatever. Um... Everybody was running into the valley. The fire was still going. There were dozens and dozens of bodies burnt beyond recognition. And by this time, she already dipped. (laughs) (laughs) She's already gone. And there's another uh, ex-member. His name is Peter Ashibibwe. I want to say this right. Ashibibwe. He was 17 years old at the time. And the only reason why he survived is because he snuck out the morning that like early early that morning to go look for sugar cane wow like, to go look for food that's the only reason why he's arrived i'm wow. like sheesh oh my goodness that would i would be traumatized just knowing okay one i'm a survivor but two like this thing could have happened to me i was this close yes i was literally this close yes i'm just like when i read that part i had to read it like three times i was like if he didn't leave for sugar cane like he would have been been, yeah burned just like all of those other people oh my god so authorities obviously were called to the area she was missing um and you know um they're called to the area and they're searching the area or whatever and to them it looks like a mass suicide or whatever now this is the part so when they say a mass suicide, they mean like it was like a planned thing. Yeah, it was like a planned thing. Okay. It's like a cult. Okay, everybody drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, okay, okay. great. Uh, it says authorities are shocked over how Miranda could have managed to kill so many people um, because it was discovered that she had killed people earlier. So there were 
um, so there was the people that burned in the in the church in the building mm-hmm. or whatever. But then once they um, like once they looked through the site, they found like a bunch of different mass graves, and it ended up turning out that she killed literally thousands of people. <gasps> yeah, like whoa, like throughout the time. Yeah, the- throughout the time that she was there, and the only reason why they found it was because like they went by her window, like um, by her. Um, by her house or whatever uh-huh. and there was like this weird stench coming from the the house so they like dug up around the house and they found the bodies of these six like brolic dudes who like were the ones that used to basically like her security or whatever yeah so she ended up burying them and again it's like how did she do this yeah she obviously had somebody helping her because these dudes are huge like, right they, yeah and they're like and their bodies are completely decomposed because they're covered in sulfuric acid so yeah like that was supposed to help them i guess like decompose faster but they didn't get to because they dug them up um right after the fire whoa yeah um so it says that they were most likely poisoned to death for the most part and then one of them had a bastion skull so but i'm still i'm still shook i'm still like confused because that's that's six people. So you had to, in order to take down six dudes like that, you have to have twice their power. Yeah. So I don't, I know about the five being poisoned. So maybe they like came over for dinner or something. Yeah. Like that. Cause but, you have to do it all at once. Cause but, if you kill one person, then the rest are going to freak out. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to do it. So yeah, it's probably, it probably was like that. Like yeah. a dinner or something. But like dragging them though, like, yeah. and like in, into a grave. So putting them into a grave and nobody noticed. I, I, the only thing I can think of is like her most devout followers. She mm-hmm. like made them help her right. with these things. That's the only thing I can think. That's the only thing I can come up with too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, Yo. and it was because like these people had started wanting to leave. Is that kind of what they yeah. thought? Okay. So that's, that's what the theory is. They never really get to the true motive of what was happening. They can only like just interview ex cult members and get like the environment and like what yeah. was happening at the time. They, um, one of the people who they interviewed was a former priest Mm -hmm. and he was the one who told them that it was a doomsday quote. Like she told Mm -hmm. them like the world's going to end on January 1st, 2000. And then when it didn't, that ended up like putting everything into crisis. Mm -hmm. And so another theory is that she was trying to like cover her tracks Mm -hmm. and anybody who could have told on her or anybody who could have like said that, you know, she did these things like she was trying to get rid of them basically. Wow so um that day there was a bus passing through i'm not exactly sure like what kind of bus i don't i want to say like a she was at a bus stop or something uh-huh. she gets on the bus and she's looking at everybody's faces and so the theory is that she was looking at everybody's faces to see if anybody from the cult had escaped and then like gotten on the bus or whatever oh, and that's the last time anybody ever saw her wait yeah it's unsolved shut the fuck <laughs> okay so when did the fire happen in 2000 yeah the fire happened march 2000 and then that morning she was on a bus and she she was young right um i want to say so she if let's say she was in her 20s in the late 80s okay she was at most in her 40s so she i mean she's still very much could be out there kicking yeah so she's 76 now and nobody knows where she is yeah if i'm let me uh, let me double check okay whether or not she died um, yeah but, but nobody like nobody's seen her so i would assume that nobody knows that she died or whatever but yeah she would be 76 right now which means she could very much still be alive and kicking and the thing is um and i'm just speculating this because of knowing about other cults mm-hmm. i wonder if she had some members some very devout members that she took with her right and that helped her hide probably yeah because they still don't know so the 12 apostles thing like they know of you know that hierarchy but they don't know anything else as far as like the leaders so and and those those um like motives were never you know like exposed because the only people they can really like interview was you know ex-members who yeah. were probably traumatized as fuck right so yeah they pro- she probably did have some people on her side that was just like waiting on standby or something like that to help her get out of there or whatever oh, which is even God. weirder because like you're doing this thing and she obviously did like this super fucked up shit because <laughs> i'm like 
like, you know, and, and we were saying it throughout the episode, like there's, we understand that there are reasons why people believe and they stay during this type of thing. Mm-hmm. But then after you see her burn hundreds of people in a church, mm-hmm. I hope that you would like snap out of it or at least be like, okay, something's off. Like I need to not associate with you anymore. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like we've seen from other cults and stuff, people, no matter where, you know, their leader goes or whatever wild things that they do, they still stand by them. Right. So it says the real do- the the real the real death toll is much higher because when they dug up the graves. Well, first of all, let me go back. Okay. So it says that um, the police, when they were like examining the bodies, they were so tightly packed together that they couldn't match the bones together. <gasps> That's how tightly packed the bodies were together. So these are like thousands of bodies. And normally when people think of like the the, the cult uh, or mass suicide or mass killing with the most bodies, they think of Jim Jones yeah. from Guyana. Yeah. But her death toll is definitely much higher than his because they don't have the resources of the money to dig up the rest of the graves. So they only had enough to like dig up that evidence, but there's still a lot more. Like they know for a fact that there's a lot more and they can't even get like the resources to dig it up. So there's thousands of more people who are buried. And like the racism of it all. Yeah. And the fact that Jim Jones, well, okay. Like to be a a notable cult leader, isn't a great thing, Mm -hmm. but Jim, everyone knows who Jim Jones is. Right. There's a rapper. I'm not even going to get into that. I was literally (laughs) thinking that. Like everyone knows, like people use drink the Kool-Aid without even really understanding where it comes from, but it comes from something. But the fact that this lady yeah. had a cult where there were way more yeah. victims and nobody knows it. Well, no, I won't say nobody, but a lot of people don't know about it. Right. It's like that twisted effect of racism. It's kind of like when uh, racists do like super fucked up shit and then they don't choose black people as their crimes. It's kind of yeah. like one of those. It's like you don't want this thing to happen, but also it's still racist. It's still racist. Like you didn't like, kill one black person, right? Like out of all, like it's yeah. It's like I don't want them to kill black people at all. But the fact that you purposefully didn't kill black folks is racist yeah and then it's the same thing with this and honestly it is probably so much data on black killers uh-huh. that we're missing from because of racism right like it's like they report more and make them infamous like ted mm-hmm. bundy got movies yeah and shit. Like, that's what, like like she's not infamous yeah and she should be and not that you know everything that she did was terrible yeah and i wish it hadn't happened but it's so wild to me that i never have heard of her yeah because even with, like, you know, just, like, talking among black folks, we're like, oh, black people don't do shit like that. Yeah. As it turns out, they, they do. do. <laughs> they do. And because, you know, because it's seen as, like, this phenomenon rather than, like, a crime that needs to be, that needs to be unpacked. Yeah. And it needs to be, because, I mean, if we're really going to talk about it, if we're really going to be on some, like, 30-second soapbox real quick. It's because of colonization. It's right. because Christianity was brought. To, like, if they had just been chilling with their native religions, who mm-hmm. the fuck knows what could have happened? Maybe the same thing, or maybe... Not. But not this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? Wow. So, yeah, no, it's... Yeah. I, I never heard of this before, and I'm I'm shook that that's even, like, her, her Wikipedia is so short. But, um... But, yeah, so after they found the graves, they realized there's, like, so many other graves... Um, the police don't have the resources to look for them and there's no interest, there's no money to be able to look into it. Wow. Um, All those people's families. Right. And they'll never, they'll never even get a story. They'll never get an investigation or anything like that. But they know for a fact that like, okay, my husband, my mom, my so-and-so went down there or I escaped and there's never going to be like any justice towards this type situation. Right. Um, Yeah, but... It's not technically unsolved because they know it was her, but yeah. like, she didn't get caught. She didn't get caught. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll take that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think. Uh, it says, uh, although Interpol has issued notices for the rest of the six cult leaders in April 2000, it's still not known if any of them died in the fire or if they're still living in hiding. Wow. Yeah. And I'm that's all freaked out. All the information they have on them. They could be anywhere in the fucking world. That is i'm sorry that's so wild that makes me so freaked out for going into public places like you don't know who you're walking by or like who's in front of you at the grocery store you really don't and especially working in services where people absolutely need those services like you work in hospitality you work in food you work in retail things like that 
um, you you work in uh, the medical industry. Mm-hmm. You could be taking care of former Nazis. You could right. be taking care yeah. of former murderers <laughs> and all this shit. Yeah. I, when I used to work at Panera, I literally used to be like, oh, I wonder if a serial killer came in here and got a, a smoothie. And, and got a mac and cheese. <laughs> like, a two for two. What oh, my God. You, you picked two. two. <laughs> I used to think about this shit all the time. And I'm just like, and stuff like this just makes me wonder, like, she could have reset, and Africa is fucking huge. Yes. Africa, like, three different continents can fit in there. You you look at that shit on the map, you won't be able to realize it, but Africa is, like, big as fuck. Big. And she could have literally settled in, like, a neighboring country, which they believe, like, she settled somewhere in, like, neighboring Uganda or whatever, but she could be anywhere and nobody would know because they only have, like, two pictures of her. Right. Change your name. I mean, shoot, you don't even have to change your name because I wouldn't have known. Yeah, exactly. And it's Corona, too. Now she got on the mask. It's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wrap. And I wonder if, like, um, she kind of started, like, another community. Oh my goodness! You know, like maybe a smaller one. Yes. No, I did read that there are some people who still believe that she was trying to like remove. I'm sorry, remove people from sin, and that like what she did wasn't that bad. Like, yeah, there's and there's other like little smaller sects popping up around Africa. It's giving the story that I did last week. Yeah. The John List. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're doing <laughs> these horrible things to, quote-unquote, remove people from sin. Right, exactly. Wow. And, and committing atrocities to remove them from atrocities? Right. Know. What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. But okay. Yeah. Hmm. That is the story of Credonia Morende. Wow. Thank you, Phaedra, for yeah. the recommendation. That was incredible. Yeah, that was awesome. Wow. And good luck on the play. Please, yes. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I'm yeah. like... If there's a, I mean, I'll reach out to you on Instagram because I don't know. But if there's like a YouTube video or something of it, I'd love oh, to watch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I guess today's lesson is y'all don't start a cult. Please don't. Yeah. Please don't. And um, I want to say don't join a cult, but I know that's more complicated. But, you know, just be aware of your situations and try to make the best decisions for yourself. Yeah, and if anybody tries to isolate you or tell you that the world is going to end, ask them to to give you some proof. Yeah. Tell them to put you in with God and y'all text back and forth and see what's really going on. (laughs) If you plan on, like, uprooting your life and selling all your things, you know, maybe run it past, like, three or four people. Yeah. And take their opinion seriously because... Most people would not agree to this. Sell all your shit? <laughs> Call us. <laughs> Ask yes. us if this is something you should do, and we'll tell you what we think. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly what I think, and I will not hold back. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> I all just right, got well, the shit. Um, I think this is, like, we're already at like an hour and five minutes, so I don't feel like we need to do a Should This Be Your Crime this week. Oh, but yeah, no, we we're can... good. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Podcast. We're on Facebook and TikTok at I and Akilla Podcast, and we're on Twitter at I and Akilla Pod. Follow us on Instagram is where we post all of the images that we talk about during the episode. So if you're ever like, damn, I really wonder what they look like, it's on our Instagram. So yeah. go there and follow us, like the post, share it with your friends, all that. Yeah. And you can listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us on Apple Music. Uh, iHeartRadio, anywhere where you can find podcasts, you will find us. Yes, and please reach out to us like Phaedra did. Tell us cases that you want us to um, talk about. We can talk about them in Current and Crime, our main story, or our Should This Be a Crime. We really love hearing what y'all want to hear about, and it opens our eyes to new things. Yeah. Like and we would have never known about that. Right. It's like having a conversation with y'all, too. Right. So it's like really cool. But yeah. All right. No housekeeping, so we're yeah, good. I think we're good. Okay, we'll talk to y'all next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.